0: Explode your to-be-read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash newreleases. That's bookriot.com slash newreleases. Happy browsing! Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 131, and we are recording on June 9th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're going to talk about some favorite recent under the radar science fiction and fantasy reads.
1: Yes, we are. I was very excited to talk about some of these books, and I kind of put mine in the parameters of, like, the last few years, the last couple of years, I guess. Yeah, so, I did
0: the same. Yeah. I did the same. <laughs> Especially because I haven't, like, discovered which are the under-the-radar books of this year yet. Like, it's I too know. soon to tell yeah, if they're true. under the radar. <laughs> um, we're like, like, we're We won't predicting. know until... Right, exactly. Like, am I predicting that this is not going to get what it should? I know. know. (laughs) that seems a little rude. (laughs) It does seem rude. It does seem rude. So, yeah, it's much easier to look backwards a little bit, be like, okay, why is nobody talking about this book? Like, why does this not have enough,
1: like, Goodreads ratings or whatever, you know, the criteria is? Yes, yes. So I'm excited to hopefully... Get people to read some of these books that we are both jazzed about and that more people need to read. Yes, more eyeballs for the books.
0: Yes. That's what we're going for. It was actually really funny because I had to double check the last time we did Under the Radar Reads because I found myself wanting to pick a book that I had already picked. I know. Um, but we'll talk about <laughs> that. We'll talk about that more in the bottom half of this show. All right. Well, before we get into our news segment, let us hear from a sponsor. <laughs> Explode your to-be-read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Oh, look, I get to pick first. Uh, What do we want to talk about? Let's talk about Sandman first. Yeah. Just for funsies. Let's start off on that note. So I know that we talked, you know, we have been keeping an eye on this adaptation. Mm -hmm. Um, It is... An adaptation of Neil Gaiman's, well, and now many other authors, right? Because they've really expanded who gets to write for that universe, which is awesome. Um, But yes, the Sandman universe, uh, initially from Neil Gaiman, now from many people. And uh, the Mary Sue has an update reported on by D.R. Medlin. And this was just posted yesterday. Netflix, like, revealed a bunch of stuff at a Geeked Week which is apparently a thing that happened. Right? I know. I but they know had that. a panel. It's like very like Comic Con esque, it sounds to me. Like they had a panel uh, with the cast and the crew, and they did like a release date and a longer trailer and all of these things. So we finally have some more specific details. And according to the reporter here, it looks like from what they've seen, the plot of the show is actually going to be very close to the original comics, mm-hmm. which is cool. Like, I I think that that, I mean, I've read Sandman on and off over the years, like, sporadically. I know for sure yeah. I haven't read all of it, right? But, like... I know who the characters are. I remember some. The, in my head, it's weird. I actually want to call them episodes.
1: That's funny. <laughs> even they were
0: like, isn't that funny? They, like they're chapters in a graphic novel, but they feel like
1: episodes. Yeah, yeah. I think that 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 makes actually a lot of sense because I would not have flinched or balked or anything hearing that. I wouldn't even have had a second thought. But right? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. It just makes it that much more adaptable,
0: right? Like it makes sense. So. Um, But yeah, so I remember, you know, enough to be excited about this. And so, you know, Dream, who is also Morpheus, has been captured by an occult society in like 1916 and then has been imprisoned for 100 years. That's been changed a little bit Mm -hmm. um, from the comics. And now like the kingdom of dreams has fallen apart. Humanity has been suffering and he escapes and has to bring, you know, balance back to everything. Um, They have a lovely big shot of all of the cast. Yeah. Of Sandman, which is like it's a, it's a beautiful collection of faces. Let me just say, I think I <laughs> forgot that Stephen Fry was gonna be here.
1: I was literally just looking at his <laughs> face and like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> we must have seen that before but I do not I forgot so
0: yeah I forgot I'm pretty uh and like Pat Oswalt is gonna voice yeah. Matthew the raven which is an interesting right. choice um I'm really excited to see Kirby Howell Baptiste as death like I just cannot wait to yes. see what that looks like on screen, Um, same for Mason Alexander Park as Desire. Like, oh, I'm so, I'm so excited to see some of these folks get to, like, inhabit these characters. Um, And so, you know, the Mary Sue has a whole breakdown of all of the characters that you are going to see that have been cast so far. And the release date is, scrolling, 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 August 5th. Oh, it's like that's oh, like tomorrow
1: basically yeah that's like basically tomorrow so <laughs> that's no time usually when we no, talk it's... about these things it's like you know coming soon right. who knows when <laughs> two years from now <laughs> yeah this is super exciting uh I do not remember a lot about uh mm. Sandman so I have to go back and I think that if I recall correctly it's like with comics for me a lot of it's it's pretty easy for me to dive in and read through them pretty quickly. I am not going to read this whole the whole thing, but I want to get reacquainted with all of the characters ahead of watching this, and I think I can manage that for once ahead of the release date. (laughs) Yeah, graphic
0: novels do lend themselves to that a lot easier than, you know, full-on series is for sure. Yeah, I'm not gonna go back. I kind of am happy to let this one be whatever it is based on my very hazy like I feel like mm. I have the perfect amount of memory and that like I remember really loving certain characters but I don't remember a lot of specific plot points which is kind of I think ideal heading into an adaptation yeah for me for me as
1: a as, you know a specific type of person that makes so. a lot of sense if I had uh a better memory of it, I would probably do the same. Everybody can choose their path when it yeah, comes to right. adaptation. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, speaking of big old breakdowns, I kind of lost track, as one does with the MCU, of what is yes. coming out when. And I. Happily got a reminder from this pop sugar piece by Victoria Edel about Ms. Marvel coming to Disney Plus. Actually, the first episode, I guess, was just released yesterday. Yeah. So, and I Mm -hmm. haven't watched it yet. And I did try to avoid any like initial reviews because I, I don't want it to change my. You know, what how I feel going into the show in any sort of way, but I was really excited to catch up on the whole series, which is a six episode series, so it's pretty uh quick, and um, I kind of like that with series to be honest, like, I like to get uh the flavor of something, and I do hope that there's no news yet of season two, but I really hope it gets one. Uh, even though I haven't watched it yet, I'm saying that anyway. <laughs> but this has like Pop Sugar has this whole breakdown of sort of you know the basics of what you need to know or what you might want to know ahead of going in into the Ms. Marvel series, which features Kamala Khan and. Iman Vellani is playing Kamala Khan, and I just watched the trailer, and it is so fun and Mm. so uh, wonderfully designed. Like the sets and everything for a lot of these uh, Marvel movies tend to be really curated and very stylized, and you can definitely Mm. see that on full display in this trailer. And recently, I guess they released a whole series of posters for the series, which also has that very stylized sort of comic book, but uh, I guess retro, I'll say, Mm. look to it, Mm. which I love. Um, But I'm really excited because the cast of characters, uh, the cast of actors playing these characters looks great. And I remember first getting introduced to the comic series, what feels like a million years ago, yes, written yes. by G. Willow Wilson and yes. I was by just, Adrian Alfona. Yeah, Adrian Alfona and uh, let's see, Sina Amanat and Stephen Wacker and mm-hmm. Jamie McKelvey. Uh, so I remember just falling in love with the comics and the character, and I have been watching a lot of these Marvel series so this is particularly exciting for me you know um, Kamala Khan is a Pakistani American Muslim character and I grew up in a Muslim household so it's really cool to see that representation in the comics and on the screen Mm -hmm. and yeah I'm really excited
0: yeah, I've been hearing fantastic things. I like my phone was blowing up yesterday with people being yeah. like, oh, my God, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't watched it yet. I haven't had time. I'm absolutely going to. I'm so excited. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I it was actually this article, too, was helpful for me because, you know, the MCU is so like twisty turny what's connecting with what and which is to like what the characters from this are also going to be in that and this sort of broke down like okay so you know this is you know iman villani is playing kamala in the marvels as well which is going to be the movie you know that um is connected to captain marvel and um uh, it, like, sort of explains, you know, yeah. how it all fits together, which I appreciated for sure, because I cannot keep track. There's too much. It's just too much. I uh, can't. And, either. yeah, I, I'm really, I am really jazzed to watch this. I've been, I actually canceled our Disney Plus subscription a few months ago. I think I mentioned. Oh, right. this is what's, this and Moon Knight, I've been waiting for this to come out so that I can renew it for just long enough to
1: watch this and Moon Knight <laughs> and cancel it again It's <laughs> my plan. That is a good plan plan. I mean, I just started watching Moon Knight recently, and it is very entertaining, I will say so That's what I hear. Yeah. Super entertaining. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, there we have that. It's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Let's talk about... Oh, yeah. Uh, So, Barnes & Noble put out their best books of 2022 so far list, and uh, this was published on the BNN Reads blog uh, by the Barnes & Noble editors, and it's a lot of genre fiction. Yeah!
1: I was surprised by that
0: for some reason. It's like 10 books, and I, I feel like more than half of them are genre books, which is cool. Um, there's a few on here that I have had my eyeballs on and am excited to see getting recognition, although I have not read them yet myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, um, The Hacienda yes. by, where did it go? It's Isabel right Cagnes. Yes, Isabel Cagnes. I'm really curious about that. You know, there it's like a post-colonial gothic horror novel, which is in all of our wheelhouses, I think. Um, yeah. I'm hoping it's not as body horror-y as <laughs> I was they're pumping say. into Mexican Gothic. <laughs> and I'm like, will I be able to read it? But I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it a go. And uh, The Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel is in here, which is on my list. Loved um, it. I was excited to see Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Sulin Tan on here because I did read and enjoy that.
1: So have you read any of these? Yeah, I read uh, Sea of Tranquility and wait, maybe that's the only one? Yeah, mm. I think that's the only one. Uh, right. I did not recognize The Candy House at first, but I guess that is also science fiction. Uh that's by Yeah, Jennifer, Jennifer Egan, Egan doing
0: like near future stuff, which actually makes sense if you've read Goon Squad. It ends slightly in the
1: future. Yeah, yeah, and it does say set in the same world as Goon Squad. So that's super interesting. But that mm-hmm. I kind of am surprised. I've read um some Holly Black Book of Night uh, is on this list by Holly Black, but I right. have not read Book of Night um yet. But I also was curious about I have not even heard, I think, of Skandar and the Unicorn theme. No, me neither. That was the one um
0: not adult book on here, it looks like. It's, yeah. It looks like it's a YA novel about a teenager who's gonna be a unicorn rider, which sounds I know. pretty awesome. <laughs> right. Like I'm interested. I'm interested. I am too. I love
1: unicorns, so I could I can ride. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, so it's an yeah, it's an interesting list. It's good to poke around. There's also some you know literary fiction and other things in here rom coms. Um, so I was excited to see that it's a nicely it's a it feels like a broad list you know in in the way that you want it to.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was pleased with the SFF rep. So yeah, uh, yeah. as somebody biased as I am, with <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, for the last story, I wanted to talk about this piece from The Guardian, and this actually came from the Associated Press. Um, and I saw this floating around in places, and I was like, what am I reading? It's about this unburnable copy of The Handmaid's Tale, which was just auctioned off by Sotheby's for $130,000, which I was like, <laughs> what is... And yeah, I immediately. On that was yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, yes, of course. There is all sorts of news. I'm sure a lot of people listening know about all sorts of news about book bans and things that are happening around uh, the US. Very upsetting stories. Um and i it sounds like this auction was set up specifically so that the proceeds could go to pen america which does advocate for free expression worldwide so it was uh treated in a aluminum product which i guess helped to make it like I think it's made out of aluminum. Oh right. a Oh yes. Consists mainly of cinefoil, a specially treated aluminum product. Correct. Yeah. So <laughs> it's wacky. This is just wild. And you know the the feature image is of Margaret Atwood with a flamethrower uh <laughs> it trying to incinerate this. It's just Completely bonkers trying to incinerate this book. (laughs) And so it sold. It sold for $130,000. And it sounds like the purpose of this was also not just to um, get those funds to PEN America, but also to initiate some conversations about book banning, book censorship in general, and to make people think about what's happening right now in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there are
0: literal book burning parties, like unironic yeah. for real book burning parties happening here in the US and possibly I haven't been keeping up with censorship news internationally. But mm-hmm. like, it's real bad, y'all. Like It's, yeah. it's legit, you know, bonfires of books happening and uh yeah I uh you know I'm glad to see um like I I'll, you gotta love like an awareness stunt right That's yes what this feels like. it's an
1: awareness stunt <laughs> that is exactly what this looks like so
0: yeah
1: I hope that it does bring Whatever some works. attention <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we are talking about it today so right, um there I just want People to hopefully pay some attention to what's happening and get out there and do what we all can to stop the completely completely wild things that are happening with books so yeah I wanted to just make sure and bring some attention to this one Indeed. Yeah, there's, um. if you search for, like, Book Riot censorship,
0: you will find mm. some amazing articles done by Kelly Jensen in particular, yes. and also Danica Ellis, two of our editors who have been going really hard on covering this stuff, and in some cases are breaking this news. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, uh the info is there for you, and, and we have resources for, for how you can help.
1: Yes, we do. Yes, kudos to those two. Yeah. All right. Uh, Should we take another sponsor break? Let's do it. Okay. So we are about to talk about our Under the Radar Reads. And it looks like I'm kicking us off with a short story collection that I am very excited to talk about again. I think I've talked about this once before, but I wanted to make sure everybody heard about this. This is a big, bold collection of stories and poetry and flash fiction, and it's Everyone on the Moon is Essential Personnel by Julian K. Jarboe. This is published by Leith Press, which is an independent publishing house specializing in the strange, the eerie, and the uncanny. And I knew that, you know, one of the books I was going to talk about today would come from... Uh, independent press because I you know those presses don't get as many marketing dollars often and you know they can't uh, promote those titles as much as some of the big publishing houses do and this publisher actually has a lot of uh, books that have queer interests and they publish all sorts of speculative fiction. And so for this book in particular, some of the stories in this collection are original and some were previously published elsewhere, including in Transcendent, which is Leith, Leith Press's own collection of the year's best transgender speculative fiction, Strange Horizons, and then also an issue of Uncanny Magazine's Disabled People Destroy Fantasy. So these stories you might have seen around some of them. Um but this is a really nimble collection. It takes you all sorts of places. Like there's a story that takes place in a hospital room where patients suffering from a disease wait in fear for their transformation to take place. Actually, it's not a, a short story. This one's a poem. Um, and then there's a story called The Thing in Us We Fear Just Wants Our Love, Um that was actually the poem. And then there's one story where there's an office where an employee is reduced down to nothing by capitalism. It is basically feels like the story of a widget, which is it's very strange and very fitting for this collection. There's also a story about portals and grieving after 9-11. And there's just a lot of rawness and really pointed questions about norms of all types that we have accepted and installed into the fabric of our society. And then, of course, there is the title story, which takes up a chunk of the book, actually. And I think it can be described as a novelette. And so Everyone on the Moon is Essential Personnel is that story. It's described as mid-apocalyptic Catholic cyberpunk, which is a string of words I have never before read or heard, and I was delighted by that description, so I had to mention it here. And in this story, uh, the moon has been colonized, and there's this mega company, like think Amazon. So this mega company set up there, and they're hiring. And the thing about them is that their employment practices are really exploitative and riddled with human rights violations. So it feels like kind of a death sentence to be sent up to the moon but then we have this main character Sebastian who's like yeah I think my best route for a future is through you know landing a job on the moon and meanwhile he has this other difficulty where he's keeping it secret that he has romantic feelings for his close friend Jonathan. so we follow Sebastian as he goes through the motions of applying for this position And we also meet his sister, Lara, who is really ruthlessly fat-shamed by their mom and is looking for a way out. And then we have, of course, Jonathan, who's this sort of cool, calm, collected character. You can see the charisma that uh, makes Sebastian really interested in him. And then there's their friend, Kiro, who has... A robotic arm with a Furby for a hand, which was super what? Uh, super unusual. There's all sorts of like nostalgic tchotchke references in this one that I think a lot of readers will probably remember a lot of these tchotchkes and things. So it's the near future. So you have elements that are used in unusual ways from the recent past for us. So and it is a satire. It's a sant- a satire that's sort of lampooning a lot of contemporary norms and institutions. Um, the whole collection has that same sort of through line in it, which I really appreciated and thought was very interesting. And overall, it was just a really intimate, experimental and... Sometimes brutal, like brutally funny in a dry, dry sort of way, brutally honest, and just brutally brutal collection. (laughs) So that in mind, there are content warnings for dysmorphia, self-harm, fat shaming, ableism, child abuse, and there is, sorry, Jen, body horror in this collection. (laughs) Uh, Can't avoid it for some reason (laughs) with my- It's everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the stories take on some tragic and hard topics, but it's it's just really new and different. And uh, Jarbo actually describes the t- the title story as a misfit story, and I think you can use that that uh sentiment to describe the whole collection, just misfit stories. And I really loved how it pushed the boundaries. So again, that was Everyone on the Moon is Essential Personnel by Julian K. Jarbo. Yeah. It's interesting, Sharifa, because I think we
0: ended up going in sort of similar directions. Like I also have an independent press short story collection. Oh. Um, and both of my books really are pretty dark and I I actually was thinking about this as I was getting ready to record I was like is this is is this actually like I was second guessing myself I was like because it feels really hard in a in one way to recommend difficult dark topic books right now because Mm -hmm. right the world we're living in for so many reasons is a really hard difficult world to live in and i know that like i have to be really careful about what i read because you know doom scrolling doesn't just happen in on my feeds it also happens in my brain (laughs) and you gotta be careful you know to give yourself those moments of like hope and um, lightness, right, to to get you through the dark parts. But also, I wonder if, in a certain way, that's why these picks are under the radar is because mm-hmm. it is hard to pitch a dark book right now to people who don't. A lot of some people, I think, maybe a smaller group of people know that they're looking for a catharsis and they actively are seeking them out. But I don't think that's the majority of people is my impression anyway. Um, But I think these books are so important because they help us to like practice dealing with darkness, right? Like when you read a book that tackles these kinds of subjects, it gives you a place that's, you know, can be pretty safe to work through your response to those dark events and dark themes and then you know your brain has like a little bit more uh, muscle memory for mm-hmm. dealing with it in the real world is is you know a thing that I've experienced and I've seen other people talk about. Um, so I think like it's important to be mindful about you know when and how you approach these books, but I also think they're super important to read. So ultimately, I was like, you know what, let's just go <laughs> to this place. Here we are. Like this is where I'm going.
1: I guess. Uh, yes, that is a really really great insight, and I totally agree. As somebody who has. Not necessarily intentionally, but sometimes I think it just happens that I read a lot of darker books in dark times, but there are while there are yeah. certainly some themes that I actively avoid because those themes are a little bit too much or can be mm-hmm. overwhelming for me in a way that doesn't feel helpful um, yes, but i I definitely do find that. I have those moments I it's nice to be able to put the book down and do something that makes me feel good and happy and joyful again but also have a place to exercise those feelings so uh, Yeah. yeah I really appreciate that insight.
0: Yeah, so so all right, so here we are. We're gonna talk about some dark <laughs> books. Um, I do want to give a shout out to *Elegy for the Undead* by Matthew Viselli, which I did talk about last time we were doing an under the radar show, which I still feel does not have enough readers. It is from a small press, Lanternfish Press, which is local to me here in Philly. Put out amazing books, and it is a dark relationship book that plagues- takes place during a zombie outbreak. And I just think it's so good and more people should read it. So this is your reminder about that one. Um, my sci-fi pick is one that came out in 2021. And I just feel like, again, I don't know if it's when it came out or like because it is a dark read, but like it did not get the attention I think it deserves. It's Destroyer of Light by Jennifer Marie Brissett which um, is an author who I've been following for a while now. She wrote this book Elysium that I've talked about on this show once or twice, I think in the backlist episodes. It's so strange and interesting and like such like a mind warp um, and destroyer of light really, I think leans into those skills that Brissette has to really just sort of take a kaleidoscopic twist mm. on a topic. So this is set on uh, in the future on a tidally locked planet, meaning like one side always faces its sun and one side always faces away from it, uh, where humans have, you know, been resettled sort of by aliens who had destroyed the earth. Um, and so they have resettled humanity on this planet of Eleusis. There's, like, a few very limited habital, habitable areas because of the title locking. And uh, it's, it's I, I mean, I, like I'm saying, okay, this is a dark book. Let me give the content <laughs> warnings up because you if you're not ready to listen to this description, like, you're going to want to skip ahead. But it does contain graphic harm to children, um, rape, and sexual assault. It is about, uh, it's, it's sort of a Perfe- Persephone retelling. It's about a young mm-hmm. girl who lives in one of the agrarian outposts that, you know, their whole job is to produce grains, as it were, and then send them off to the city and they live a pretty like low resource life. Um, and there are these roving gangs of marauders who periodically come through and kill people and kidnap the children and then take them away to become child soldiers. And this happens to this young girl and a bunch of other people in her village. And she is... Ends up being favored by the warlord and forced to, like, you know, hmm. be his concubine, more or less. Um, she has some strange powers that it takes her a while to learn how to turn to her own benefit instead of somebody else's benefit. Um, and so she is living a very difficult life. And then you sort of jump to the city where there are these two brothers who have been genetically modified in this way that makes them very good at tracking people down. They're like professional finders. And they're hired by a human-alien couple to find their lost son. And these two storylines sort of move in and out of each other, spiral around each other. You go back and forth in time. And it is very much about trauma and trauma recovery. It's about how do we choose to survive and how do we find choices that are not apparent to us when we are, you know, limited by others and trapped by others. Um, It's very much about what does it mean to be human and how do we exercise humanity or not exercise humanity towards each other it's just a and it's about technology there's an AI presence in here that's sort of amazingly woven in in really subtle ways it's fascinating it's such a fascinating vision and I think if you enjoy you know there's so many authors out here doing this work like Octavia Butler, N.K. Jemison, mm-hmm. you know, um, authors who are looking forwards and out. River Solomon is another one and thinking about, you know, our society's problems now, but through this lens of science fiction. It's so well done. It's so well done. And it is, like I said, it's a difficult read, but it's so worthwhile. And I think Brissette just has this amazing mind for taking elements of science fiction that may feel like they've been done and doing them in ways I just do not see coming. Uh, So again, that's Destroyer of Light by Jennifer Marie Brissette. Ursula Le Guin, another comp, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Like, so many (laughs) of my favorite writers do this thing. And, you know, Brissette is up there with them.
1: That sounds definitely well worth the read. Well, continuing on the dark path... uh, (laughs) My next pick is a speculative horror novella, and it's Flowers for the Sea by E. Rocklin. And this book actually, you know, it's from Tor, so it's not from a small press, but I believe that because – There were so many novellas coming out around the time this book was published and there were so many books. I just didn't see that. I saw it on a few lists, but I, I quickly saw it just sort of disappear and, you know, go under the radar. So I wanted to talk about it again because... I, this was another book where I was just like blown away, and it felt like something new and something wholly original. And, you know, it doesn't hold back. It is body horror, viscera. There is uh, pregnancy horror, which I know can be tough. So I wanted to note that. Um, it is just the stuff of nightmares. And it is a vengeance tale set on a ship, or more specifically, an ark. And this ark is lost at sea. So some of the story is set on this vessel, and then some of the story is flashbacks to Eroxy, who's our main character, so to Eroxy's previous life, on land with her family, who are all lost in present day. Um, So... Araxi's family had this gift uh, that was a sort of generational gift. And because of this gift they had, they are, they're both sort of revered and feared in their small town. And Araxi doesn't have the gift, but a prince comes calling for her, uh, asking for her hand in marriage. And the consequences of her answer end up staying with her long after the decision. And then when we're on the ship, Aroxy is pregnant, and she's not a happy mother to be, uh, but she's the only one on this ship who seems to be able to carry a baby to term. And there's a lot of resentment that's swirling around Araxi's pregnancy, from Araxi herself to also some of the people aboard the ship. And Aroxy and the others are trapped on this ship. They're in this terrible fearscape of sea monsters uh, they have to hide from in the belly of the ship and they have dwindling resources they have some children exhibiting these strange and eerie characteristics and then there's this power imbalance between Araxi and another shipmate who Uh, holds everyone in his sway and that further complicates her already very complicated unhappy life and you know it's a it's a short story it's very short you get through it quickly but the whole thing is like fueled and charged with anger and is also written so beautifully um and I thought that that was that was kind of the interesting part for me too it there's this juxtaposition of this really lyrical, beautiful, almost poetic prose style. And then you have the story itself, which has some truly ugly and stomach churning moments. It's just there are some hard to read moments, but you, you're you carried by this beautiful um, style of writing. So the experience was very unique. I could not put the book down. I had to find out what happened to Roxy and everybody and where her anchor and her need for vengeance was going to take all of them. And the ending was everything to me. And so I'm not going to give anything away, but it was it was incredible. It was satisfying. So yeah, if you can get past the body horror and... <laughs> um you know, all of the parts of this book that does make it a horror novella, you should definitely check out Flowers for the Sea. Again, that's by Zin E. Rocklin. Awesome. So, yeah, I
0: have a short story collection from Small Beer Press, who do yes. fantastic work always and forever. Uh, it is Reconstruction Stories by Aliyah Dawn Johnson, who is a writer whose career I have been happily following mm-hmm. for some time now. And this collection is such a punch. I mean, whoo, like <sighs> it from the opening story right on through It is putting you on notice. Like this is, you're going to go some places here and... You're not going to be able to look away. Um, I will give content warnings at the top again. There are unwanted pregnancy and abortion access issues. There's harm to women and children. Um, slavery is a theme in several of the stories. Racism. There's body heart. There's actually one story Ooh. that I had to stop reading because I I was mostly reading this book on my lunch breaks. Oh and I was wow! Like, okay, well I just can't read this story <laughs> until oh. I'm in a different place, both emotionally and not trying. To Eat so I, there's one story in here I still haven't read, but I read enough of it to be like I can't keep going um, but it's a it's an amazing collection. The title or excuse me. Yeah, the title story is actually the last story in the collection. It is the longest one. I think it's a novelette, perhaps. Um, It's it is called Reconstruction. It takes place, as you might guess, during uh, the end of the Civil War in the United States. Um, You are following a black woman who is a laundress. And she was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation and is now following a regiment of black soldiers um, who are working on taking down, you know, the South um, one battle at a time. And it is, Mm. it's it's a lot. It's a lot, y'all. It's really, really good. It is that character. She is so, Sally's so angry, justifiably angry, but there's actually sort of... One of the through lines of that story is this breakdown of the different kinds of anger and what they do to you and why you cling to them mm-hmm. um, and how they affect you and and how you move through the world through these different forms of anger. It's so insightful and perceptive and so visceral and present. Whew, it's it's really it's really something. And then the first story, like I said, is such a punch. Um, it's called A Guide to the Fruits of Hawaii. And it imagines A world, sort of our time, in which vampires are in charge and have enslaved humanity and put them in camps and are, you know, breeding them as a food supply. And our main character in that story is an overseer who is a human working for the vampires. So it's about coercion and collaboration. What does it mean to survive? What does it mean? to try to carve out enough power to do the good that you can while knowing that you are perpetuating harm. It's really oh. it's so intense. It's beautifully written. It's, a, it's again, these stories are not easy um, and they're not supposed to be. And I think that Johnson is doing so much in here. Uh, there's a huge range of what speculative elements She's using between each stories and the tones shift a lot. The settings shift. I mean, there's not any story that I would be like, oh, that one was just like this one. No, each one is very different, set in a completely different time and place. And they're so good. She's such a good short story. I mean, she's also an excellent novelist, but like you really feel the power of her short fiction in this collection. And there's a really interesting uh, author note at the end about, you know, where these stories came from and what her career has been like, because they do come from different moments in her career. So I encourage you to pick it up and read the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but know that one of them in particular is kind of don't eat during oh, reading boy. this collection in general. Like, don't don't do it. Uh, but it's just fantastic. And again, that's Reconstruction Stories by Aliyah Dawn Johnson.
1: Wow. What a set of books.
0: Yeah, no doubt. We we went <laughs> down the the rabbit hole here, but, uh, you know, pick them up when you're ready. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, that's our show. Uh, SFF yeah, is sound edited by Caitlin Brame, and we really appreciate her helping make us sound great each and every episode. If you need even more book recommendations, including more under the radar rex, check out bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Um, and thank you, as always, for listening. We super appreciate you. As always, you can email us at sffia at bookriot.com. Send us your feedback, what you're loving, um, themes, suggestions for the show, pet pictures. We take it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you feel like reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podchaser, we also super appreciate that. Sharifa, where can the people find you in between shows
1: they can find me on instagram at a williams that's s-z-a-i-n-a-b williams and i am
0: on twitter and tumblr as jen j e n n i r l, or on instagram as i am jen i-r-l and we will talk to you next time